Hi, everyone. Welcome to Trader Chats, unique perspectives from seasoned traders. I'm your host, Imran Larka, founder of Options Insight and 20-year professional options trader. As you might know, I became a trading mentor about three years ago, but I thought these conversations would be a great way for my students to gain valuable perspectives from some of the professional traders that I know and respect. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Trader Chats podcast, everyone. Um, thanks for listening in. Today's episode, I've got my good friend Arn Wynn, uh, who I used to work with uh, not too long ago at Citibank. Welcome, on. Thanks, Imran. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Um, so the, the title of today's podcast is Why Leave Banking? So uh, the idea being me and me and Arn used to both work for investment banks. We had you know, successful careers, decent salaries. Why would you possibly want to walk out of a suite set up like that? So that's what today's all about, just delving into our two journeys and and some of the motivations behind that. So Arn, why don't we why don't we hand over to you uh, and tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and kind of how me and you came to meet in the industry. Sure, sure. So I joined City as a grad in 2009, which is bad, and I was there for 10 years. I started out on the emerging markets cash desk, and then I moved on to the options desk the EM derivatives desk. And uh, it was quite a volatile desk as far as desk head goes. They changed the desk head every one or two years. And on top of that, um, at the time, there was no structured training at City. So uh, you sort of just have to learn as you go and uh, especially learning from your mistakes. And so this is the backdrop of how, when I met Imran. So I was sort of floundering, I was a grad floundering and trying to find my way in the bank. And I got very lucky. Because every now and then on the trading floor, they would change the seating plan, uh, depending on the business needs and if new teams are being formed. And it was purely by a stroke of luck that during one of these reshuffles, they sat me right next to Imran. Um, mm. And I still remember my, my first impression of Imran. Like, one, he is full of smart trading ideas. And number two, he's just so damn young. And, I mean, when I first met him, I didn't realize he was the head of the index uh, options desk. He just looks too young to be a desk head. Uh, and, you know, actually, it, to my to advantage... To be fair, you, you look pretty young yourself, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm one of the happiest. I think you know, that's what keeps us young. We're, we're both very happy individuals, and you know, that, that's what keeps us young. Um, uh, but, yeah, so I was sat next to Imran, uh, and because he looks so young, I felt that he was more approachable. Uh, I didn't think of him as, a, like, a super senior trader, but, but he was as senior as, as they come. Um, and, you know, Imran was the first person I've seen that just consistently made money using his um, uh, discretionary um, vol ideas. And I wanted to learn as much as I can from Imran. And, uh, and I was so lucky because uh, Imran really took the time to explain to me and to the other juniors on the desk. And he has a gift of, you know, taking a complicated um, idea uh, and explain it in a very, very intuitive and simple manner. Um, and uh, because of that, that's, I guess that's the start of our mentorship and later grew, grew into a friendship because we share a lot of interests outside trading as well, such as poker, watching MMA, going to the gym and so forth. And uh, also uh, 
probably Imran is probably one of the big, big influences of why I left banking because he was the first trader to introduce me to prop trading and really the, the joy of prop trading. You know, that great feeling when you have a very well thought out idea and then you have a, you know, you execute it well and you, and you make money off it. It's just the best feeling in the world. And I guess I've been chasing so, that feeling ever since. So, so for the, for the audience's benefit. So the difference between prop trading and flow trading for, for, for people who don't know. So prop trading is proprietary trading, right? So you, you basically are committing your own capital or the bank's capital if you work for the bank or a hedge fund or whatever it is, and you are deciding what trade you think will make money, generate alpha, uh, and you're going out on a limb and you're going out, you're finding a price from a market maker or a liquidity provider, and you're putting that trade on your book with the view that that position will then make some money, right? The yeah. difference with flow, flow trading is another type of trading, which you do when you become the liquidity provider, when you are a market maker in a bank or a market making firm or whatever it is, and you take the other side of buy side clients or, or prop traders basically, and that's called flow trading. And it's a very different role, like, a, like an inventory management role, a risk recycling type role, where you're literally just facilitating those clients to do the trade that they want, taking a bit off a spread on the way into that trade and doing your best job to manage that risk, hopefully hedge out that risk and not lose too much money. That's very different skill set. So question for you on like, what was it about prop? What was it about prop trading that, that you fell in love with relative? And did you enjoy flow trading as well? And, and, you know, what skills did that teach you? And, you know, what, what do you think people need in terms of skills to be good at flow trading or prop trading? Sure. Sure. So um, I, I think there are aspects of flow trading that I do enjoy, but overall I enjoy prop trading a lot more because I think it's a, it's a purer form of trading and you are, uh, you're more independent. You're only beholden to yourself. Uh, whereas in flow trading, a lot depends on um, clients, the type of clients, the, the, the sales um, support around you. Like if, if sales have a good relationship with an easy, certain clients are more, um, easily monetized than others, right? Let's say, for example, long onlys uh, institutions are tend to be um, uh, easier to monetize than, say, hedge funds. Uh, and I'll, I'll give a couple of examples of, of why. Um, so, a lot of the behavior of long onlys are uh, more predictable. For example, um, if the market's up 10%, um, there are certain uh, long only institutions that are very likely to come. And put on some sort of protection, so such as buying a put spread or buying a um, zero cost put spread caller. That's so that's a, uh, where they buy a put spread and they sell a call to fund it for zero cost. So if you knew that there's a very high uh, percentage chance that a client will do that, then you can look to position your book so that it's um, best suited to facilitate the client. So for example, you can start by selling vol, or you can start by selling skew. Um, uh, ahead of, of the move. Or another example is if the market's up very small, like one to 2%, but the front end stays bid, then certain long only clients are very likely to overwrite calls, right? That's just something that they're maybe mandated to, mandated to do, or it's just a very well-established strategy. So in such a case, you can go on and sell the front end calls first and then try and go bid the client. But it doesn't always work, but statistically over a long period of time over many trades, 
uh, it should come out in your favor. So that's that's one example. And you, and you know, you you were a very successful flow trader, right? Like you obviously yeah. were good at predicting the flows that you were likely to see mm-hmm. and the cyclicality of those flows. And yeah. you were able to then build some inventory on your book to then be able to facilitate those flows and win those trades, right? But that's that's a totally different, you know, that is an inventory management, predict your client behavior, get in front of it, not front run it, but just kind of, because the truth yeah. is you, you don't know that client, that client might not come and do that trade. Absolutely. And Absolutely. you're taking risk on when you're building inventory on your book. So Absolutely. And not to mention, you have to win the trade when, because the clients never ever quote with just one bank. So whenever a client quotes, usually they'll quote with at least three banks and the best prize wins. So even if you pre-position, you're not guaranteed to get it, but you are putting yourself in the best position to win it, right? Yeah, so there's the, exactly. It, it has become a more and more competitive landscape within the commoditized options markets like equity index and things like that. So you're right, you're up against three, four, maybe more banks. Yeah. And everyone wants to win the business because everyone yeah. wants to justify their existence and keep their sales forces happy and, and do all the political politically correct things that you have to do nowadays when you work for a bank. So, yeah, it, it, I mean, that was part of the reason I got sick of flow trading, right? So I ran, in, as you know, I ran index desks at Merrill Lynch, at Citibank, and it just was becoming, I felt the weight on my shoulder was just becoming more and more political, more and more about keeping people happy and not about making money, right? And for me, I got into trading 20 years ago. Why? Because I like the buzz of using my intellectual capacity to come up with ideas that would make money, right? And when it stops being about making money and it starts being about other things, that's what started to turn me off. And Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, and then let's move a bit towards the props. So go on, elaborate a bit more about what prop, what you see as prop trading, what skills you think are necessary to be successful at that and, and how you found that. Mm, right. So, uh, so let's talk about, I think there, there's two aspects here. There's the, there's a technical aspect of trading and then there's the, the men- mental or philosophical aspect of trading. And I think both are equally important. And I think beginners usually tend to overemphasize on the, on the technical aspect. Uh, but I think both of these are required for you to be successful, both in flow trading and in prop trading. So I'll start with the technical aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so technically, uh, I think trading success comes more from risk management rather than forecasting abilities. So what I mean is when I when I started out, I was reading tons of books, trying to watch other traders. I'm trying to find that secret sauce, that secret indicator. Like, is it a five-period moving average or is it nine or is it eight and a half? Is it the, you know, is it the Bollinger Bands with two standard deviation, 2.9 standard deviation, you know, things like that. Um, is it Fibonacci retracements? Is it Elliott waves? Now, all these uh, technical indicators have, to, uh, have, their, have their values, but I would say they're not crucial. You, you, you learn one or two that helps you, it, it gives you a framework of doing things in a systematic way. You have a process to follow, but other than that is really the risk management that will help you make money in the long run. So that's number one. Now- I totally agree with that. I echo that. I mean, I think the edge that I have when I trade is 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 part, is mainly coming from that, an implementation of a trade that when it goes wrong, it will lose small amounts of money. 
And when it goes right, it can make multiples, basically, right? And I think, you, and I tell a lot of my students that consistently, if that's the way you trade, when you, it's okay to lose, and it's okay to lose even fifty percent of the time. But Absolutely. if when you lose, you lose small, and when you make, you make at least two, three, four times what you're losing on losing trades. You're going to be a profitable trader, right? So I, I think that's a very, very strong message, and and I totally agree with it. But, yeah. And then the and, psychological aspects that you're talking um, about. But there's one more There's one more aspect on, on the technical side. Um, okay. I just want to touch on a little bit, which I think you need to have good processes in place to follow rather than improvising every time for every trade. Meaning, I think it's much better to be a bit systematic about how you approach trading rather than 100% discretionary. Obviously, it's, it's very difficult because there there's so many moving parts in, um, in, in trading, but you have to try because uh, if you're systematic about it, then it's easier for you to to make tweaks and changes and improvements in a, in a scientific manner and that requires very good data keeping you need to keep very um, uh, clear clean data so that you can go back and analyze the data and then from there you can figure out what adjustments you you can make yeah? like, like like trade journaling right yeah, trade journaling is extremely know why important. you're putting on trades know which ones are working and which ones aren't and then learn from what the data is telling you basically yeah yeah, yeah. And again, that, that sounds simple, but once you start journaling, you'll, dis, you'll see it's extremely hard to, because how do you label a trade? Is this a momentum trade? Is this a uh, mean reversion trade, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, you have other things like what is the volume at the time? Uh, what is the general market? Meaning what's S&P doing at the time? What is volatility at the time? So the more ingredients you put, you, you, you're going to realize that you will get overwhelmed with different um, mm -hmm. flags, let's say. Uh, mm -hmm. And it takes, I think it takes a long time for you uh, to, to finally settle into one or two um, trading strategies. And then you start building the database on it. And then you can really evaluate over many, many trades over a long period of time, how the strategy um, uh, performs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, so that's the, that's the technical aspect of trading. Um, now, and then there's the, the, the mental or the philosophical side of trading and I think that you know one of the very helpful things that for me was to really, really kill my ego, have as low of an ego as possible, so that you can take responsibility for your for your own actions in your PL. And I, I cannot stress the importance of this way of thinking because it's helped me so much both in trading and in my life outside of trading. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll use an example of what happened to me uh, early on in my career. Um, so I think this happened sometime during my third year or maybe fourth year. I can't remember. Um, I was, I, it was a trade regarding Gazprom. It was a Russian, it's a Russian oil and gas company. Uh, and Citi's analyst at the time was extremely bullish on the dividend. Uh, and so I went along the dividend through some high delta risk reversals you know, at the recommendation of my analyst. Uh, then the company announced that they are considering an increase in dividends and immediately had a prof paper profit of a million dollars. And I, I felt invincible over the moon, you know? Uh, and, you know, it's, it's really silly because you know, in, in hindsight, it, none of this was due to skills. I was totally lucky. The analyst said something. First of all, analysts will always will predict you know, a lot of things and half the time they'll be wrong and half the time they'll be right. You need to understand that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, in any case, uh, I had a paper profit of a million dollars. So instead of taking profit, I, I asked the analyst, well, what do you think? Should I get out here? And he, and he told me, no, hold on a bit. You can make an extra $100,000. He thinks he's so sure based on all his fundamental analysis that uh, you know, it should be worth another $100,000. So, okay. So I held on. And in the weeks that followed, <laughs> a lot of trading you know, took place on, on, on the IDB, which is the interdealer broker market. But it was going the wrong way. It was going down 900000 
800,000. So I still had a decent paper profit, but I felt so angry. I was, I was angry at the broker who was printing these trades. I was angry at the guys, the traders who were selling that dip. Like, didn't they know? Like, why, why didn't they speak to the analysts? Like, it's going up. It just went all the way, all the way down. Oh, On the no. dividend day, it was announced. It was a shocker. It was an increase versus the previous year, but a tiny, tiny increase. And in the end, I only had a profit of $300,000. And I was livid. I was angry. Now, this time, I wasn't angry. I wasn't angry at myself. I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. But the analyst was, I was so angry at the analyst. Like, why did he tell me to wait? I mean, you know, you know, but anyway, okay. Anyway, in hindsight, this is purely my fault, right? I had a free gift and I risk managed it badly and I couldn't accept that I did something wrong. So number one is about the risk management. So I had a million dollars of, of free gift. I was holding out for another 100K, risking yeah. a full million. Because remember, Russian companies and any company for that matter have been known to do something completely different from what they announced. So until it's really, the diff has been paid, everything is paper profit and your risk is a full million. So I was, I was risking a million for 100,000, right? Yeah. Horrible risk reward. At the very least, I should have taken a partial profit, right? Taken a third off, you know, 50% off, something like that, right? So that's risk management. Now mm -hmm. then there's the, the psychological part. Now, you know, why did I really not sell? At, I had plenty of chances to sell out at 900, 800. The, the, the real reason wasn't even because I believed that in, in what the analyst was saying, that it was going to go to 1.1. The deep down, the reason was I just couldn't accept that I did something wrong. And wrong here meant selling out for anything less than a million. It was just too painful to accept. You know, if, if I lock in 800 or 900, that's admitting that I was wrong for not selling at 1 million. And, you know, deep down inside, I was really, I wasn't really waiting for the 1.1 million. I told myself if it was 1 million bit, I would hit it immediately in a heartbeat, but it never went. And it just kept going down and down and down and down and down. Really, really and interesting. Really, really interesting to hear that. Like, exactly. I mean, you know, we've all done it. We've all been there. We've missed the top. And then yeah. we're like umming and ahhing, like, is it going to retest it? And I'll get a chance to get out. And it's like, totally agree, right? Throw the ego out the door and just be like, you know what? just take some of the money, take a partial profit, like you said, because you don't know. Once you accept that you will never know the perfect entry to get into something and you will yeah. never know the perfect exit to get out, accept that and just do partials. Do average your way out of trades, average your way into trades and smooth out that process because you know you're never going to get it bang on. So yeah. then move out the process. So then you, you, you mean there's less opportunity to be unlucky, basically, right? And that's, yeah. the, that's a method I use a lot. I, I like scaling into positions. Mm. I don't do my full size on the, on the first click because I don't have the arrogance to say, I know this is the optimum time to get in. I'm going to do it. I like yeah. to average into things, give myself some room, and then the same thing on the way out. On the way out, you, it's a horrible feeling when you get out of a trade, you take profit and then you see you would have made loads more money if you had yeah. kept running it. So just scale out of some, do some or in options, there are various techniques you can use, obviously like taking your profit on, a, on an option and then rolling it to a higher strike or a longer maturity and reinvesting some of those profits into premium to just keep some skin in the game. There's lots of cool things you can do in options, obviously that allow you to make that those decisions and make peace with those decisions that say a lot easier. Right. But yeah, I, I think that's a great, great example and a great story. Um, you know, they, they, there's a saying that they say that the first mistake is rarely, you know, it rarely kills you. It's always the, the following series of, of mistakes that compounds the problem. You yeah. know? So 
um, you know, you know, and then I have met plenty of other examples where I was losing money and I didn't cut, and that it's a lot more detrimental to to your account. But it's the same; it's a similar idea. You know, yeah, it's yeah. it's due to our ego. It's hard for us to accept that we did something wrong. Um, mm -hmm. So I think you just need to learn to separate your 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 mistakes from from who you are. Just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you're you're in, like stupid or incompetent. I think I think everybody makes mistakes. Right? It, it's normal, mm -hmm. um, but it's it not everybody try to to correct their mistakes. So that's, I think that's what separates the, the traders who blow up and those who, who can survive over the long run for me. Cool. I, I want to sort of change pace a little bit. Um, uh, we're basically, uh, what I was thinking, you know, the point of this episode was to, you know, we called it why leave banking. So, yeah. so let, let's talk a little bit about that. So, you know, why would you and me to be fair, uh, volunteer to walk out of a well-paid bank job that most people on the street would die for that job and that salary. What would make you want to leave? Uh, and, and let's talk a little bit about that and the, the, the kind of drivers of that decision. Sure, sure. Um, I think, so for me, uh, and I guess you can touch on later your own reasons, but for me, it's, it's, a, it's a very personal reason. Um, the, the, I, the short answer is I wanted to do something else. I was passionate about prop trading and it's very hard to do it at a bank. Regulations uh, make it uh, very difficult. Uh, and I knew I didn't want to continue with flow trading because after 10 years of doing the same thing, uh, despite being quite good at it, and maybe because I was dedicated to it for 10 years, I became good at it. But much of my, my day becomes quite routine and I felt very static. I wasn't learning anything new and mm -hmm. learning new skills is, is part of what you know, excites me or any other human being, I think. Uh, you know, to, to get up uh, in, in the morning. I wanted to, to grow and to learn new skills. And and usually this comes, you know, from deviating a bit from the norm. And, you know, there's, there's a saying that growth comes at the expense of previous safety and comfort. And I think that's absolutely true. And, mm. you know, flow trading is not an easy endeavor. And it's, it's like any other profession. It requires you to give it all your attention and effort to be successful. But unfortunately for me, I wanted to be successful at something else. I wanted to hone a different skill set. And I needed to give it my full time and attention. And uh, that's, the, that's the main reason why I left. And also personally, you know, I, I wanted to break away from a big corporate environment because which it, it comes with a lot of politics and at times even, you know, the environment can be, can be very toxic. <laughs> it's funny, you can be surprised uh, to see how many people in banking who are unhappy, which is very strange because you know, it's, it's one of the most well-paid jobs in, in society. Now, that's it. I want to clarify, I, you know, I'm not naive enough to say that banking specifically is depressing. No, not at all. I think any job, any profession has its pros and cons, has its ups and downs. Uh, but for me personally, because I've been working in banking at a bank, for, at one bank for 10 years, you know, just spending time doing one thing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you get tunnel vision and, and lack of perspective. And I, I had this burning desire to, to grow and learn something else. Uh, mm -hmm. And so the decision for me to leave was was quite quite natural, uh, if only for me to have a different vantage point to change my perspective. Um, and you know, ever since leaving, I'll, I'll take an example: um, programming. I've wanted to learn programming for years because I think most people know that programming is useful, just like going to the gym is useful. But it's just difficult to find the time and and really the the motivation to to do it when you're when you're doing a like a full time job. Mm -hmm. uh, and since I left. 
within a year, I managed to build my own back tester. I tested a bunch of systematic strategies. And then the second year, I coded a semi-automated program to trade my strategies on, on interactive brokers. And now I'm trading my own account using those strategies. And I've enjoyed the experience immensely. You know, and this is what I, I want to do more of. And that's why I want to continue this, this uh, journey. And finally, there's a, also an added perk of you know, working from home. I get to spend a lot more time with my family. And I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, so those are the, the main reasons. Sounds like a long list of reasons to me. I mean, I know. I mean, it's never simpler, isn't it? Is this, is, is, yeah. it's, it's great. I mean, you know, I think I could echo a lot of that sentiment, you know, definitely felt a plateauing of the learning curve probably after the first seven, eight years within banking, you know, was looking for an exit for quite a long time personally. Um, but that's right. You know, it depends what type of person you are, right? If you're the sort of person who wants to grow wants to learn and that's what motivates you and you find yourself learning zero and just dealing with a load of annoying routine day in day out mm. that that is going to affect your morale right it's going to affect your energy it's going to affect how you feel about waking up every morning and going to this job that is a is a large time commitment right what time did you used to wake up i used to wake up at 5 30 in the morning i used to get a train at around 6, 6.15, I'd be up at the desk by 7 for morning meetings and you don't get home until 7 p.m., right? So if you have kids, you don't get to see them very much. So your work-life balance isn't there and you're slaving away and you're exhausted at, at a job that, yes, is paying you a lot in monetary terms, but there comes a point where you prioritize other things in life, basically, right? And you know, it sounds like a very privileged position to say, oh, I, you know, other things are more important than money. And the only people who ever really say that are the people who had money, right? If you haven't had money, it's hard for you to know that money doesn't matter that much to you, right? Um, but, the, but, you know, we're lucky enough that we've earned a bit of money over the years. And, you know, if I, if I could advise the 20-year-old Imran 20 years ago, having the experience that I have now, I, I would have maybe done a few things differently, right? Or I would have maybe at least approached things a little bit more different. And, and I think that what you said about putting yourself out of your comfort zone to keep learning, that's what motivates you. And, you know, you've learned to code. From my own personal experience, I set up my, I set up my training business, Options Insight. The amount of things that has taught me, right, about you know, just sort of public speaking, being in front of the camera, building a website, running a business. It's just marketing, all those sort of things that I just never even thought about. And those things I've learned, they make you feel enriched, right? They, they, they make you feel more fulfilled. They enrich your mind, your, your curiosity, and your, just your general life experience, basically, right? And I, and I think those are the sort of things where when you find a job that you're passionate about, and, and has a purpose and a meaning to you that you get real fulfillment from, that, that just blows any random banking job out of the water, to be honest, right? So that, that's definitely been my personal experience. And, um, you know, I'm really happy that you found something that you, that you enjoy that, that has got you out of the kind of the rat race, as it were, you know, because, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's hard. A lot of people find it hard to break away from that because the nugget, the gold, that nugget of that salary coming in through the door every month, Oh yeah, yeah. It's, the, hard to, it's hard to escape from, you know. Um, yeah. 
it helps if you don't have a lead a very lavish lifestyle i think um, you don't get caught into that trap of just uh spending money like it's going out of fashion which a lot of people in banking do but if you yeah. can manage to get away from that then it makes it that transition a lot easier basically yeah um all right and then you know you kind of touched on what you're doing now so you're kind of doing prop trading you're coding up some systematic strategies and stuff and you're learning a lot of new skills so what are your plans? I guess before we wrap it up, what, what, what are your plans for the future? Like, what do you see yourself or what do you want to be doing, say, in five years' time? Like, how, how do you see the next leg, the next stage of your journey? Like, what, what, what do you think yeah. about that? So, you know, for now, I want to continue on this journey to see if I can make it financially viable because, you know, I want to be very pragmatic about it. You know, it's great to learn all these new skills and have my freedom, but at the end of the day, needs to generate enough income to make it practical. So, and I think in general, there are two directions I can go from here. One is to carry on trading independently. And this is the path I prefer because it gives me more time to spend with my family and is more independent, less politics. And the other is to find a either a prop shop or a fund that will allow me to run my trading strategies. And for that, I'd need to continue building my track record. And you know, this year has been great, but you know, touch wood, hopefully the, the performance will, will continue. But I'm continually trying to learn new trading strategies, whether by like, you know, testing different things or reading books or watching other traders. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's the, that's the plan ahead for me. Cool. Excellent. Well, we'll, we'll call it a day then. Um, just want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure having you. And it's always good chatting to you. Uh, you've become a good friend of mine over the years and uh, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Yeah. Thank you. Imran. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. 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 Take care. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. To learn more about Options Insight and our trading community, please visit us at www.options-insight.com or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and also follow us on Twitter at options underscore insight. Until next time, thanks.